It's time to experience the Synergy Connection Show with your host, Lucy Forsting. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Synergy Connection Show, where we do connect the dots between our physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual aspects. And we have all four of those. So it's important to understand that and understand that we are pretty complicated human beings. Uh, we have different um, you know, values and everything else. And the show is to help you explore what those values are. You know, if 2020 didn't teach us anything, certainly 2021 in the first quarter is teaching us the same story. And that's the importance of taking personal responsibility for our health. Um, I talk about uh, the company that sponsors the show, Boomers Forever Young. They're in St. Petersburg, Florida. And this company has a number of products that can really maintain your health. One of them in particular that I talk about is gladiator barley. It is a sprout, it is not a grain, and it's harvested in Canada. And what it will do for you is it reduces inflammation, it takes toxins out of the body, and more importantly, as we age, it allows you to uh, promote muscle mass again. We lose about 1% of our muscle every year after the age of 50. And if you keep that in mind, as you age, that is the reason why people fall. That's why they stumble. That's why they break hips. That's why they break femurs. Um, and those are very difficult to recover from, as you probably well know. So um, keep in mind, um, you know, go to my website, www.synergyconnectionradio.com. Look at the link. You can sign up for their free newsletter, read the testimonials, look at the blog, look at the videos. And if you decide to order anything, go ahead and use my name in the discount code. It's L-U-C-Y and it'll give you $5 off of each and every order. All right. So I want you to stay healthy. That's one of those legs and without our health, the rest of it is pretty tough. Uh, Keith Long is joining me again uh, today and we're going to be talking about the environment but Keith is a Harvard Neiman Foundation scholar. He's a, an amazing journalist. He's Florida Bar certified for continuing law education credits. Um, and he does this a lot at Stetson Law School. And uh, he's also a moderator of Black Lives Matter and the Innocence Project. And what I think is kind of cool is I don't know anyone other than Keith that has a lifetime FBI clearance. And uh, I think that is just really cool. I mean, to have that kind of lifetime clearance. So um, he writes for books to documentaries and for people that are innovators and people who have a message. And I'm thrilled to have you back on the show, Keith. Well, thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, we'll see how the show goes and how thrilled you are after the show is over. But I, um, I am very curious about, you know, you sent me this information on democracy of dollars, uh, where national or natural and constitutional rights go to the highest bidder. And that is just fascinating to me uh, that, you know, I realize that COVID, you know, has taught us all, I think, a really valuable lesson because we're, 
well, I don't know that it's so much true at the moment because we're all out driving around again. But for quite a while, because there was less traffic across the world, people were seeing mountains for the first times that they hadn't seen, you know, in a long, long time, especially out in California and, and those kind of areas where it's such heavy, heavy pollution. But we've got a lot of it here. If you fly into Tampa International, you know, you, you see it and it's not going away. And we've got something like a thousand people a day moving into Pinellas County, which is like super scary to me because it's already crowded enough. So what does all this do to our environment and, and what does it mean that it goes to the highest bidder? Right. Well, I mean, uh, the, the title was, uh, was my client's, uh, my client slash author's, uh, title to, uh, call attention to the, uh, the way uh, political and economic and uh, not only cultural, but climate decisions are made. And so he selected the title Democracy of Dollars because uh, so much of the decisions are influenced by somebody who can uh, fund uh, a political campaign, a uh, a nonprofit even, uh, and who might be an advocate for one thing or another, uh, might be a lobbyist for uh, an airline or a, an oil company. Uh, and, um, and so all of these things, uh, he wanted to call attention to the fact that they just don't happen by themselves, that, uh, that uh, advocates show up and uh, studies are um, published. And also I might include the media. So I'm a journalist. Um, the Society of Professional Journalists uh, recognized me and my peers as a top investigative journalist. And I'm one of the few journalists who criticize journalism. <laughs> Good for you I, though, because it needs it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And uh, journalists uh, are uh, very reluctant uh, they're very uh, resistant to criticism. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, uh, but I take them on anyway. And uh, so anyway, they're part of the, of the, uh, what uh, a president called the military industrial complex. This might be called the business media uh, policy complex to coin a word uh, kind of off the cuff. And so um, all of that influences how decisions are made, uh, how people narrate the issues, and how we as news consumers uh, and just members of the public hear those uh, options. Uh, they hear those options because somebody with uh, influence has, has got a connection with let's say the media or a politician or somebody else, and they're out there promoting that point of view. And so it's very difficult to, to find somebody who's just a, uh, a fair arbiter of the facts, who doesn't have a uh, bias in favor of one thing or another, and just wants to present the facts for the benefit of the uh, news consumer or information consumer. Uh, most of the time, what you hear 
is somebody with a somebody who is an advocate. Sometimes you might call them a propagandist, and uh, and I do, and I apply that to the media and journalists. Uh, or they might just be uh, somebody that's um, that has a financial interest in a in a particular uh, advocacy and a program. So I have a question to ask you, though. I mean, I have heard this, and you probably know whether it's true or not, but I've heard that a lot of times your journalists, they're afraid, even if they did have a bias that was, you know, in a different direction, they're sort of afraid to say anything that would be against the bias of their employer because they know that their job could be eliminated. So they just kind of give whatever you know, the, the front person is giving and go down that road. So how true is that? Or, or have we lost the ability to just, you know, tell the truth for the truth's sake? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, so use the term the royal we, and uh, you kind of, you do what, what happens a lot and which I'm kind of sensitive to as a journalist. So you frame the issue correctly that that people that are news providers, journalists, the media, uh, news organizations, uh, among others, and uh, they're out there with a bias and with an advocate, with a point of view, and that's the way they frame the news. But then you asked, are we, are we at a, at a point where we don't know what uh, we don't? present the truth objectively anymore. So what I notice about that, and it happens quite a bit, is that it's not we, the news consumer, and let's say John or Jane Q public, that is, uh, that is biasing the facts. It is the media. Huh. So John, Jane Q public uh, is uh, a news consumer. And we're not the ones that go out and, uh, and create and narrate the news. We're the ones that receive it. So the ones that are responsible for uh, diminution of um, objectivity and uh, just a fair presentation, a balanced presentation, or just, um, or just a straight news program, they are the media. And they're the ones that uh, need to be held accountable how do you do that? Well, um, I think, first of all, by recognizing it, I think the, the thing that anybody that is, it's got a private agenda and representing themselves as, uh, as something else, the one thing that, that defeats that, um, that kind of ulterior motive is exposure. So just the fact that exposing that uh, bias, uh, just just the fact of exposing it, will will diffuse the uh, the leverage that they have. So if I turn on the news and um, and uh, they have an attractive news presenter, and and they're very friendly, and uh, and. They make us feel welcome, and they they give the news based on what their marketing uh, people tell them. Uh, news consumers like me want to hear. 
And so I'm pretty much captured. I'm a captive of the news programs that I choose because I'm going to hear what what I want to hear, and that's what they give me. And so um, it's so it's gotten to the point where even people in the media call the the press by a label of one side of an issue or the other. And they say, for example, the conservative press or the liberal press. Uh, that's just an acknowledgement that that the press is biasing their their news, and they're just like, oh, okay, of course, it's, of course, everybody knows it. Uh huh. And so, and so, how do you do it? Well, the 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 simplest way is just to be aware of it, and to and to therefore, as news consumers just prefer make a choice based on news that we, where, where you get to hear both sides. And so if you don't hear both sides from the network or the news provider you're, you're listening to, then you go somewhere else. So the nice thing about their business model is that if people start leaving, uh, then they are aware of it pretty quickly and they will respond to uh, the marketplace as a business. So I would say in simple terms, that's the, that would be my answer to the question. Okay, so we let our feet more or less walk us to another channel that maybe gives better representation of both sides. You know, so that yeah, or, yeah, the way it works is, um, so if I watch uh, Rachel Maddow, and I'm saying, well, I wonder if that, is everything. I wonder if that's her point of view. Um, or, or or I watch Anderson Cooper and I uh, say, I wonder if that's their point of view or if that's the whole story. Because I, I thought I heard something that was different. So mm -hmm. then I have to go to Fox to, uh, to hear the same story reported a totally different way right. and with, with a different bias. So that's kind of like what we have to do. And um, uh, until we get a, uh, a news source that simply goes back or, or goes forward actually to providing news that's, that's unbiased. Is there a, a show that you're aware of that does a pretty good job of that? No. <laughs> and, so, and so I'm in, you know, I'm in touch with because uh, not to, it's really it's not because I'm a journalist, but I'm in touch with. So Steve Scully was on C-SPAN. He is on C-SPAN. He's been with him. He's a political editor. He's uh, very prominently featured on C-SPAN. And uh, he was also chosen to moderate a presidential debate in the last go round. And it turned out that he was taking uh, advice from one side of the presidential campaign against the other side. And so he called that person up to get advice on his moderation uh, performance uh -huh. before, the, before the debate. Uh -huh. So Steve Scully, if somebody were asking me to describe him, I would say he's a Boy Scout. I would say, yeah, man, he's, he's pretty straight arrow until I found out that that this was reported by uh, somebody in the media, mm -hmm. and uh, he lied. Wow. His first 
action was to lie about it. He said, no, that's not true. Then it turned out he had to admit that he lied and that he had called this individual and that he did have a point of view as moderator of a presidential debate and as political editor of C-SPAN. So uh, I happen to know as a journalist that most things, the, the most valuable news is what's not reported by the media. Right. And so uh, I could see where that kind of information would have slipped by and does slip by, and we're just never aware of it. You know, one of the things that happened to me a lot when I was in um, Green Bay, Wisconsin, I had a, uh, actually three clinics in Northeast Wisconsin that were mental health clinics. And we were the uh, sole providers at that time of United Health. So, you know, I had a radio show that was a live show. It was a call-in show. And um, so there were a lot of people that knew about, you know, our clinics and had mental health questions to ask. And oftentimes, you know, whenever there was something that was bigger than normal, whether it was in Chicago or Milwaukee or some part of Wisconsin or Minnesota, you know, there'd be a journalist that would be calling from either a news station, a, a, an actual television station that wanted an interview or a newspaper that wanted an interview. And initially, you know, I, I was very flattered because I was president of the clinics and I thought, well, this is cool. This is a nice way to get uh, some publicity, if you will, and notoriety, you know, because we're being asked our opinion about something and how we can help. What I began to discover is that a lot of what I said was either not quoted properly or it was taken out of context. And so then the article did not reflect anything close to what I actually meant. And I would have people coming back to me saying, what do you mean? Saying blah, blah, blah. And I would be like, well, wait a minute. I didn't say that. Well, you know, you're quoted as saying that. And so I quit giving interviews because it was not in my best interest or the clinic's best interest. Yeah, and I would say as a journalist, the, the way I, what, what I would say is important to understand about that and, and uh, uh, is that that doesn't happen by accident. Mm -hmm. um, whatever the details are of your, of your story uh, that, the, that the paper was reporting, there was a reason why they misquoted or, or biased the reporting. It wasn't just an accident. And so, so what is the most common reason for doing that? Well, I think, uh, you know, really the truth is that every, that every news organization has an editor mm -hmm. and the editor takes her marching orders from the organization that, that at the top president or the ownership and everybody who's a reporter goes to the news editor and takes their marching orders from the editor. So it's a direct line of orientation for the news that, uh, that goes from the top down to the reporter. And a reporter does not go out on a story and, and with the instructions, well, just, just report back whatever you find. They go out with marching orders, with an orientation, with a perspective that the editor gives them. And the editor, I, would have, I don't even know what the story was, but let's say in your case, 
the editor said, well, she's with the mental health uh, 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 support system here. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody um, that we want to be an allied, uh, allied to has a different point of view on their policy. And so let's, let's balance, you know, they put it in interesting ways. Let's balance that issue by reporting her, her interview to favor the one that we really favor. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there's a reason for it. And, and so that's kind of like what I was saying there. Once people understand that nothing like nothing about the media or stories happens by accident or it just happens. Mm -hmm. it, it's a direct result of a policy and an intention by the people who are writing the story. So in some respects, it kind of fits, you know, I guess what you said about um, democracy of dollars i mean that it fits right in there is that yeah so he who has the gold rules <laughs> the golden rule i'm sure you've heard that you know said more than once but it it is unfair for I, i'm going to say like the little guy in many respects because you can't fight that kind of power when you've got that amount of money behind you as a network does then you're going to hear what they want you to hear. Right, and it's a it's the where the democracy of dollars um, title is is apropos for this conversation, especially mm -hmm. because uh, the media and their reporting uh, is comes from a business model, and it's uh, it's the confirmation bias business model, but it's also deeper than that. It has alliances with people with political power, with business power with community power and uh, they're out there cultivating those alliances for various reasons and they are supporting and advocating for those allies of theirs through their paper. So the idea that, uh, that a newspaper, any newspaper or any news uh, organization is out there just uh, gathering the news and uh, they're a, they're a good faith um, uh, curator of information is is not realistic. Uh -huh. What they're about is uh, they have a business model and their business model is an advocacy. And they have alliances, a business, uh, political, uh, all kinds of alliances with people. And those are the ones that they advocate for through their uh, perspective of the news. So whenever you hear the news, you're hearing somebody that has uh, that that has a bias from their alliances, <clears throat> which are raw politics, raw power, raw business, and that's what they're about. Mm -hmm. And and uh, and it it's it it can have a long reach. Uh, let me put it that way. And uh, and so that's the way they that's the way they're organized. That's that's what they do for a living. And and so it's not like oh let's pick up the paper. And uh, I like uh, this. They may uh, a news consumer may like a column. It may be a story about uh, you know somebody who was helped by a neighbor or uh, somebody who stopped at an accident and stuff like that. But there's also opinions and other stories 
uh, on the front page that that are reflective of an agenda uh, from that paper and that institution. And that's where their their real interests lie. Mm. So if a person truly wants to understand what's going on in the world, does the internet make it any easier because we can you know, find it from different sources that are not necessarily local where the agenda might be more um, promoted for lack of a better word? Yeah, I would say so. And, uh, but it's, a, a person has to work at it. And, you know, for, for me, it's, uh, I'm the same as everybody else. I'm just a news consumer. And, um, and I listen to what, what is being reported. And the way I manage that, knowing what I know, or with the perspective that I have, is simply to understand that that Fox News, Fox News, for example, has a Fox and Friends motto. That is not just something that they picked out of the blue. That it's Fox and Friends. They want their their audience to feel friendly. Uh, they want to give the audience what they want to hear to make them friends. And so they bias the news through uh, Hannity and Tucker Carlson and uh, uh, Laura Ingram and so on and so forth uh, to give their audience what they expect. And that's the way they make their money. That's a business model. Right. And so the same is true with CNN and MSNBC. Um, and just uh, as- Is it true as, PBS? Yeah, PBS is uh, very much, <laughs> very much, uh, uh, so PBS gets their money uh, from uh, from government, but also news organizations, and um, and so um, uh, and so does the um, uh, NPR, mm -hmm. and uh, so they have uh, they have their own version of that model, and so to answer your question, a lot of people say, and I used to think so myself, uh, C-SPAN, NPR, and PBS, so you could get a straight. Uh, a straight shot at whatever without bias, but it's not true. Mm. I, you know, it's very discouraging. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I would think so because it's like you know you hear a lot of people today, especially after the last few years of the political arenas that we've had. You know, just saying, where on earth does someone go to just hear a little more truth, a little less political agenda? Yeah, well, I mean, it's so the truth is um, that there is no place uh, that yeah. you can find bits and pieces if you really uh, go out and look for it. It's like a farmer out in the uh, a pioneer farmer <laughs> out in the West. He has to scratch and, 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 and claw for every little potato. And that's just the world that that he was in. And, and, and as far as the media is concerned, that's the world we're in. Right. And so I don't, and it's a, it's, 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 uh, I would be fooling myself if I turn the news on tonight. So Lester, uh, Lester Holt, NBC news anchor, very attractive, appealing individual, very, um, uh, he, he implies and exudes uh, confidence in, in what he says. Uh, the other night he said that, uh, that, he said on the air, he said, 
it's impossible and that they that NBC News no longer tries to be fair. And this was a direct quote. It's on the Internet in uh, their news reporting, because in his opinion, there are so much uh, there are so many sources out there that are, um, let's say, evil or uh, hateful or this one thing or another that NBC News doesn't even attempt to treat them fairly. By fairly, he means with equal time. Uh, and so that's a that's a done deal. That's that doesn't happen. And he was just acknowledging what everybody in the media knows. Right, right. You're you're going to limit the amount of time that you give to somebody that is totally the opposite of what your belief system is. Absolutely, yeah. And that's true. And and so it's not a it's not a surprise to me. Um, it, it it's not a surprise to me that 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 is so so explicitly stated because it's quite obvious uh, from where i sit that that they have an agenda that they're committed to a point of view on the news not just nbc but fox and whatever and that's what they're about so i don't i don't expect anything else it's like yeah it's obvious you know it's what they're they're out there propagandizing and advocating a point of view because it makes them money. Now, is that also going to be true then of this environmental issues that we're up against? You know, there are those who say, you know, it's poppycock, you know, there is no environmental problem, there's no climate change, and yet it's pretty obvious something's going on. Um, you know, all you have to do is, is look across the world and see, you know, what Nicaragua's, you know, can't live there anymore because of the heat. And we have rivers that are drying up. There's a place in Arkansas, I think it was Arkansas, uh, about three years ago, the town was actually on a river and the river's gone. You know, the tributaries dried up, therefore the river's gone. And, uh, and it was there for, you know, hundreds of years probably, but it's not there anymore. So, you know, is, is that another one of these political kinds of issues? If you want to say it doesn't exist, uh, you know, it's just a cycle that we're going through and, you know, it'll balance itself out the other end. Of course. Uh, and uh, there are businesses that are very much opposed to the changes that are involved with the zero carbon uh, emission uh, standard and the, um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the conservation effort that my client is advocating. He's got a case, he's managing a case in the Supreme Court or in, on route to the Supreme Court to make a climate, a safe climate, a constitutional right. And he's opposed by, um, by uh, businesses uh, that would, would perhaps run them out of business if, if a zero carbon standard uh, were adopted. And also what he's looking for as a constitutional right is that a citizen, an individual citizen could sue a company, for instance, for violating their constitutional right if they got ill or sick from, uh, let's say, pollution uh, from a chemical, like Dow Chemical in, in uh, Delaware or something, dumping some of their chemicals into the river or the uh, Detroit situation where the municipal water was 
uh, full of, uh, I think it was mercury and lead. Uh, so as a constitutional right, a citizen has the right, all of a sudden has leverage and standing to take uh, these big companies to court for damages that they suffer um, from their pollution. And so that's what he's about. And he says he showed the title Democracy of Dollars because the opposition to it is uh, is is motivated by profits, just like the just like the newspapers are. Right, right. I I, I have to think of Erin Brockovich, you know, and her movie, you know, and everything yeah. because I mean that was all about not taking care of where they were dumping toxic. Um, you know, products and, and not even considering that it could leach out into the water or cause cancer or anything else. And then once, you know, all that evidence was there, trying to negotiate next to nothing as a settlement, you know, if she hadn't done what she did. So I, I think the constitutionality is, is a really neat idea. I, you know, it's, it's like we live here and yet nobody is protecting us against these major corporations that only have a, the bottom line in mind. Right. And, and uh, so this is, this shows to me, it shows me the, um, the, the, the reach of this issue of, uh, of agendas mm. by institutions. So um, of course it's obvious that certain one political party will, will choose somebody more sympathetic to that and the other party will choose people resistant to that. Those, uh, those parties are funded by different businesses and different constituencies. And so it reaches into the Supreme Court itself so that um, who is elected president is more is less about who is best for the welfare of the country, it's more about who is uh, a stronger advocate for one constituency or the other based on the money that their constituency provides uh, their allies, including the media. And so it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a long connection, uh, deep connection throughout our culture and our system um, among these institutions with the media and with po politics the courts, the justice system that is oriented around these alliances. Mm. Uh, and so to me, the solution, so, uh, you know, Franklin said, we have a Republic if you can keep it. And I'm not sure exactly what he was thinking, but the truth of the matter is that all we can do is expose it. And if the people aren't motivated to change it, once they know about it, then we have a country that is going to get what it deserves. <laughs> true. <laughs> and so all true. Is, that, that's the answer. I mean, so nobody is going to do it for us. And um, but the way it happens, so I'm very connected to young people and and the new generation, and they're very much advocates for change, and not just change uh, in favor of the climate and so forth, but all kinds of change. Um, uh, for uh, uh, social justice, restorative justice, uh, equal rights for women, minorities, um, and uh, also a more economic opportunity uh, 
spread more e more evenly. And so that's where the change is going to come from. It's even if the uh, let's say the um, boomers, not to mention your sponsor, but not let's say the boomers <laughs> don't listen to your sponsor's advice right. and they don't do anything. Right. The new generation will. Well, I think the new generation, this has been a wonderful wake up call, you know, to how they eat, how, the, you know, sleep is important, exercise is important. They're much more into mindfulness and, you know, maybe uh, some spiritual practices like yoga or meditation, but they're realizing that the balance is what we need. And it can't be all about power lunches and negotiating deals. It has to be about what is your private life like with your work life, with your community life. Um, it always aggravates me, and it probably does you too, but people who love to complain, but they're really not doing anything to make any changes. Right. You know, they just like to pontificate about, you know, this is terrible and we need to be doing something. And usually they're pointing the finger at somebody else saying, you need to go do it. Well, how about all of us doing it? Well, that's it. Yeah. yeah. And the nice, nice thing about it is even if, if our neighbor doesn't do it, uh, the, the new generation, next generation will. I and so. I have, uh, I had a client in Australia who, who Aaron Brockovich uh, was the spokeswoman for. Oh, really? Uh, on the environment. Yeah, it was a law firm yeah, called Shine. And uh, also, I just published a book for somebody locally in uh, Pinellas County. Uh, she's an artist and a dancer. All right. So the um, person that was in Australia, was it, that was a yeah. client of Aaron Brockovich's? Yeah, well, she was a client of theirs. She, uh, it was a law firm uh, in, uh, in uh, Melbourne uh, that hired her to be a spokeswoman for uh, the climate and, um, and, uh, and, and, uh, and sustainability issues. And okay. I, I wrote a book for, for them is how I got to, uh, to know her. And um, it shows you the reach of, uh, of uh, the sustainability issue and personalities, you know, in the sustainability field. And she, she was well paid, but it was a law firm. So, and she was quite well paid. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. I would think so. Is this some, you know, is this particular area that we're talking about today, is this something you would also be teaching over at Stetson? Well, I'm, uh, I'd be more likely to, uh, to be a student because, uh, so my, uh, so the author of Democracy of Dollars, his name is Richard Jacobs. He's an attorney. Uh -huh. uh, he's a trustee at uh, Stetson and my client for this book. Um, and, uh, he, um, uh, gives, uh, speeches and sponsors panels on sustainability there. And um, so I kind of attend those, and that's how I met him, actually. Uh, so Stetson has, they have a, uh, a department on sustainability. And in fact, they have a public meeting once a month when the school's open uh, that anybody can go to over at Stetson, just check their website. Hmm. Um, what do you think his odds are of getting this, you know, passed? Well, we talked about it. So I'm a strategic uh, publisher and writer. And so I'm, uh, I don't just edit and, and write and publish. I look at 
uh, I contribute to the outcomes. So the, uh, the situation is the, the Supreme Court is reluctant to get involved in what they call political questions. Mm -hmm. And so they use that doctrine, which they just adopted uh, out of kind of for their own convenience to avoid uh, lawsuits on, on, uh, on climate damage to individuals. And so they say, no, it's a political question. You have to go to the Congress to pass laws, but we're not going to recognize a, uh, a right to a safe climate. And so that's the obstacle. And of course, that, that doctrine is supported by uh, one side of the court and, a, and, and the other side of the court wants to change it and accept uh, damage claims uh, against companies uh, based on uh, an unsafe climate. Right. So, so that's what our strategy is, is to find a way to pick up one or two votes on the court to do that. And so we, uh, we discussed uh, how to do that and we kind of lay it out in the book. And I won't, I won't get into a lot of the weeds on, on legal things, but political questions uh, is, is one of the things that the court uses to avoid uh, issues that, that, that they don't want to get involved with. And what they are doing, one of the other doctrines they have is called the Chevron uh, deference doctrine. And what that means is if there's a question about how, let's say, the Environmental Protection Agency rules on something, they say, that's, uh, we're going to defer to the EPA and whatever they decide we're, is fine. It's, we're not going to judge what they decide. And so they, they have these kind of mechanisms to avoid uh, making court judgments on some of these issues. So there's within that construct, there's a way to, to uh, develop a strategy to try to get them to rethink those doctrines, because those are strictly elective doctrines by the court. Right. And um, so that's part of what I contributed. And uh, so we'll see what happens. He's got a case currently uh, in the pipeline. So, so we'll some of it will be determined by how that case turns out. Yeah, right. Yeah. If they, if they accept it, at least we'll know what the split is on the court in favor of a, a constitutional right for state climate. Mm. It's got to be very frustrating because, you know, again, you have, I'm sure, you know, strong biases here. Um, one way or the other, the people who don't want to be involved, uh, the political foray that's going on, you know, the people that are being harmed. <laughs> and so you've got all of it. And, you know, if, depending on where you're sitting and where your alliances are, it's got to be very, very tough. Yeah. And uh, it's just like a lot of issues. So um, the, uh, the Brown versus Board uh, uh, eliminated uh, desegregation or segregation in the schools back in the 50s and uh, it overturned uh, uh, the uh, the non-citizen status of, of African Americans 
And it takes uh, it takes uh, a court decision, a landmark decision sometimes to, and then Roe Wade uh, was another one. Mm -hmm. So it, it takes the court sometimes to move uh, to move the country um, off of uh, off of its uh, its uh, direction and into a new direction. So that's what he's about. That's what he's interested in doing. Trying to change the directions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wish him nothing but success. I, you know, somebody has to begin the process and maybe this is the way. I mean, if, you know, there's a person here and there, you know, scattered around that are raising uh, awareness, you know, that's where it has to begin because we can't keep looking the other way. It's kind of like um, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were saying that with homeless individuals, um, you know, handing them $10 or $20 is a tiny little drop in the bucket of where the problem really is. And, you know, back uh, when I was living in Green Bay, um, there was a county hospital years ago, 30 years ago that was doing this, uh, 20 years ago that was doing this, because I know the psychiatric nurse that was there told me about it when I was with uh, my clinic. And she said, you know, in the fall, when the weather starts getting bad and people were coming in um, because they knew that they had a roof over their head and a meal and they would get some help for their mental health issues, they were being sent to Florida. They'd have a one-way bus ticket that would really? be given to them. And so we have a lot of homeless people with mental health issues down here because they can survive. I mean, it's not a good survival, but it, they don't have the harsh elements of, you know, 50 degrees below zero wind chill factors. Right. Um, so, you know, but it doesn't solve the problem. A bus ticket, $10, that doesn't begin to solve the overall issues. So everybody has to find maybe a cause and do what they can do within their own little uh, circle you know, because if nobody does anything, nothing changes. But if everybody does a little bit, then right. we may have hope to see change down the road. Yeah, and ultimately, it's a it's a um, it's a character defining um, uh, outcome for the country as a whole on whether or not we as a people uh, are going to uh, insist on changes. And, uh, and make some of these uh, improvements, or if we're just going to sit back and, uh, and kind of coast uh, on a, in a nice living uh, environment for ourselves. And uh, ultimately that defines you know, the country we are. I've, my own opinion is that America has always been a country where our leadership has gone through periods of, um, of uh, like out for lunch. Mm -hmm. And we've had uh, periods where our leaders were just terrible, and I'm not I'm not one that likes to say, oh, you know, American whatever whatever our leaders did was fine. I think some of the things our leaders did were, were terrible, and uh, and so I don't expect that we'll just muddle through. I think that uh, I think that we could be inviting uh, uh, very un, uh, very uh, difficult times by inaction. Right, I would agree. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Hmm. So, so many 
things that uh, you have to kind of take a look at and say, you know, where do I take my stand? And I, I think maybe that's where a lot of people might be today because again, COVID caused worldwide, you know, issues, not only just with health and, but businesses and, you know, prosperity of countries. And, you know, certainly the environment is creating havoc with uh, some countries that, you know, cannot live any longer in their country because of the climate. Um, and you should so, be given credit for what you're doing and 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 ex exposing uh, the public to conversations, you know, and uh, without uh, without a filter, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever somebody wants to say, you're willing to listen, and that's that's quite an accomplishment in itself. <laughs> well, thank you. I I just um, I think that I have over the last maybe five years in particular, but as a therapist for 35 years, you know, I've heard it all from, you know, the person that is exceptionally successful and well-to-do to the person who's living in the woods. And um, there, you have to acknowledge that both sides exist and it can't be just all, you know, the glamour part that we see on television and you know, we see the news likes to uh, portray the worst of the worst, you know, sometimes, but they also have hours and hours and hours as well as the internet on, you know, success. And there's a lot of people that are right in the middle, you know, that are wondering, you know, from paycheck to paycheck, what do I do next? You know, how do I um, provide for maybe aging parents? How do I send my children to college? Um, how do I resolve health issues? And a lot of it has to do with just taking personal responsibility, not throwing up your hands and saying, well, I'm just one person, I can't do it. But taking some personal responsibility to do a little bit. Yeah, I don't know whether you agree with that or not. But it just, I there's so many people that walk away, you know, they want to look the other way, and not see what's right in front of them. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and of course, it it's can be very difficult also to do that. And, um, uh, and you, sometimes you get pushback from friends and neighbors that, um, that uh, have a different point of view or don't welcome um, change agents. And there is a, uh, uh, there is a uh, kind of a, a culture uh, in parts of America that really kind of likes the status quo, I think. And they just uh, are not receptive to the idea of change, regardless of what it is. Uh, they kind of like things uh, the way they grew up with right. them. Right. And uh, anything that disrupts that is like not welcome. So it's not easy. <laughs> no, no, it, it's not. But then I don't think life, you know, is exactly easy for most people. And even if they have been highly successful, you know, they run the risk of going down the road of drug and alcohols and uh, alcohol abuse, uh, eating disorders, you know, all kinds of other things. And some of that is is coming to the forefront, you know, now because people are more open to hearing about it. And years right. ago, it, it was just like, no, we don't talk about that. We don't let those secrets out. <laughs> right. Very um, much. Yeah. So um, there is change and it's underfoot. And maybe, you know, some of it will happen in our lifetime, but hopefully, like you said, it'll be, you know, future generations will not let it stop and will, you know, command 
you know, some change for the benefit of everyone, not just a few. Yeah, agreed. Well, I've certainly enjoyed having you on again, and we'll reschedule for another time. Uh, this Democracy of Dollars, you said it came out this week, right? Came out today, actually. Launched. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And they can get it on Amazon? Amazon, yeah. Richard Jacobs is the author. All right. Um, I'll make sure that there's a link to that um, you know, on the different platforms so that they can click and go get it. Um, and they can learn a lot about what he's doing behind the scenes, you know, to begin to help change the environment for the good of all. Absolutely. Okay. That sounds terrific. Um, Keith, make sure that everybody knows how they can reach you. Uh, sure. I'm, uh, my website is Journalist on Call, and uh, I have a uh, scheduling uh, link. Anybody can schedule a uh, Zoom or phone conversation uh, that's convenient for them. Okay. Um, and if they wanted to get hold of you for helping them with what, editing, writing, publishing, any right. other areas? Anything uh, having to do with, uh, with that, yeah. I'm, I do free consults and just have uh, conversations to, to um, to discuss their project and what, what their priorities are. Okay. Well, I'm sure that there are people listening that are thinking to themselves, maybe Keith can help me get my project out the door. So I hope that they, yeah, I hope that they do contact you. Uh, in the meantime, everyone listening, I hope you have a wonderful day. Um, you know, the show is all about health and wellness on every level. So go out there and make this your very best life. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Boomers Forever Young is really making a name for themselves as an exciting nutritional company with products that really work. People from all over the country are starting to take notice. Their whole person approach to health and wellness, combined with their unique array of powerful natural health products, are setting them apart from all the other companies in the nutrition industry. Their customers love the one-on-one -on -one free consultations and the results they experience. Sound a little too good to be true? Then go online to boomerboost.com today and sign up for a free consultation with a product specialist or just give us a call at 1-800-861-4609. Again, that's boomerboost.com or call 1-800-861-4609 to join the thousands already experiencing the benefits of Boomers Forever Young products.